found it. It's the Japan What Podcast, coming at you out of the back end of Tokyo, the armpit of Asia. Shinjuku, Shinjuku. It's me, Matthew, PMBigelow.com. That's where you can also coincidentally find all the details you need and additional photos and more to catch up on all things Japan What Podcast. I'm having what you're having. And you have great taste, dear listener. Great taste indeed. Ah. As the uh, photo of this podcast would suggest, I make a new photo every week uh, for the podcast. It's cherry blossom season here in the great city of Tokyo. Obviously the best city in the world. Uh, I've been here for 15, 16 years now, and everywhere else I go, I just kind of go, even though Tokyo, we have these smaller apartments, Tokyo's not a bad place to be. Being a straight white male in Tokyo is also not bad. (laughs) Let me be honest. I think some other people come here and go, hmm, my race ain't getting me as far enough ahead as I'd like to be. But I'm like, I came here as like this mm, poetry uh, journalist musician guy looking to make some money, teaching English and pay off my student loans. Now they're all paid off and I have a family. How about that? And I'm podcasting. But it is the, it's the one... It's the. It's been three years now since since there's not really been like a massive hanami season, and I'm starting to miss the pandemic a little bit because I could go to some of these perfect viewing spots. Uh, just last year, two years ago, um, I never really was scared of the COVID virus until after no, from January 2020 to May 2020, I was terrified, and then I was like, nothing's happening. So then I stopped being terrified. I still believed in it and did all that, but unvaxxed and unmasked is what I decided to do after May 2020. Um, and yeah, I went to Shinjuku Gyoen, which is like a national park. It's a big thing in Tokyo. Two years ago, there was maybe like 20 people that I saw. Last year, maybe 100 people. But I went again two days ago, brought my son there just to kill some time. You even forgot it was cherry blossom season, to be honest. It's just become a routine thing we do. And thousands and thousands of people. There's like an hour-long wait time just to get into the place. But I, of course, have my um, annual park passport, which you can get for 20 bucks. And I did that. Went in, had a great time. And just, they they are beautiful. There's cherry blossoms all over the world. And um, where I'm from in Victoria, B.C., um, the emperor after World War One donated a bunch of cherry blossoms to that city to kind of say thank you or to commemorate the Japanese fighters that died in some war. I can't remember. And it's really beautiful there, too. I mean, it lights up everything and everywhere. But there's no culture behind it. In Japan, there's like a culture behind it. Getting wasted, where you sit underneath the cherry blossoms and just drink excessive amounts of booze. That was that was me every year until now. Now I'm lucky if I can get a couple of beers in. But still, the uh, it's great. So if you ever have a chance to come to Tokyo, uh, stay away because there's too many people here now. Uh, you've missed your chance. It's too crowded again. Should have come at the peak of the pandemic. Where were you guys? Where were you guys? We could have snuck in some beers to Shinjuku Gyoen and like uh, taken some goofy pictures and posted them onto our social media profiles. Yeah. 
<laughs> All right, let's get into the show. Um, big show today, of course, a massive show. Uh, let's begin as we usually do with a new product. Again, coming to us from the the the, the universally despised Sora News Twenty Four. I don't have a jingle for this yet, but uh, this is how we this is how we go. I hate Sora News Twenty Four. Let's begin reading Sora News Twenty Four. Panasonic develops a weak robot that farts. Robot technology has been advancing at a steady pace and is capable of a, of a variety of activities like stocking shelves and cheerleading. But in humanity's race to create smarter, stronger, and better dancing robots, we sometimes lose sight of the intrinsic value of doing nothing. That's why we have robots. The whole idea behind robotics is to do nothing. Here to remind us of this is Nikobo from Panasonic. Panasonic describes Nikobo as a weak robot in that it doesn't do much of anything, really. It just kind of wiggles around, wags its tail, mumbles stuff, and looks at you. Yeah, it's surveillance technology. However, in doing so, it provides companionship and dependency because you need to carry it around everywhere. Cute companionship robots are certainly not new in Japan, but Nikobo has a revolutionary subroutine that sets it apart from all of the others. It farts. Um, ooh, there's a YouTube video. Okay, let's patch it in right now. And there you go. That is the Panasonic farting robot. It doesn't do anything and it farts. There we go. Um, for millennia, humanity has been torn by the double-edged swords that are farts. As a source of mirth and merriment that transcends culture and time, farts are indispensable to society. But they also tend to come with repulsive odors, rendering them undesirable in most social situations. Robot farts, on the other hand, have all the pros and none of the cons, thus achieving a peak farting performance that surpasses armpit farts by at least 107.859 percent according to my own independent study. And that's, of course, the horrible, stupid Sora News 24. I'm going to be posting pictures of this onto the website, matthewpandbiglow.com. Make sure to check it out if you are interested in all things that are farting and robots. Good old farts. Let one rip the other day. Smelled pretty bad. Okay, let's get into the show in earnest here. I wanted to begin with a little um, thing. I'm calling it culture, but this is just an example of um, what what goes on in, in, in Japan. Everybody says it's an honest place where you leave your book and then you in a cafe and you go back and it's still there. And that's happened a lot. Or you get your wallet back or something like that. This has to do with the amount of um, cash being handed into Tokyo Lost and Found Center in 2022. And this is nuts how much cash people will just hand in to the government. Okay, so let's check this out. 3.997 billion yen in cash handed into Tokyo Lost and Found Center in 2022. Of course, what I do is I just say, okay, well, 
3.9 billion, that's 4 billion pretty much. Well, what's 4 billion yen? Just take two decimal points off of that and convert it into dollars and you get your guesstimate that's rough enough for podcast listening. So 4 billion, um, 400 million, 40 million dollars in cash handed into the Tokyo Lost and Found Center in just one year alone. This comes to us from Japan Today. The Tokyo Metropolitan Police Department says that just the amount 4 billion yen in cash was handed in at Lost and Found Center in 2022. Of the amount, police were able to return 2.95 billion yen to the owners, the department said in a report. Unclaimed money goes to the metropolitan government, the report said. So you have that catch-22 or that uh, that you know, Kobayashi Maru. You hand it in, if it doesn't go back, you just gave free money to the government. The report also said that approximately 3.43 million lost items were handed into police stations last year, which is an increase of 21.9% from 2021 because of the pandemic. According to Lost and Found Centers, the number of lost items between 2015 and 2019 remained steady at around 4 million. After the pandemic hit, the number sharply declined to 2.8 million in 2020 and 2.81 million in 2021. Lost property cases increased to 3.43 million in 2022, although it did not reach pre-pandemic levels. People are still not going out. People have less crap with them now too. They're not they're not so social. Other lost or misplaced items include identification documents, um, totaling about 730,000 items. There were also about 390,000 lost commuter passes and stock certificates. So yeah, that's how honest this place is. People hand $40 million in aggregate to the government just to do the right thing. And then how much money does the government take? Mm, so 2.5, so 3, so $10 million. The government got about $10 bucks. People will say $7 million, 4000000 million. I'm just rounding up, mother funsters. Uh, there we go. So that's that. And that's our free money podcast. Free money Next, there's um, a lot of, before we get into the kind of the quirkier aspects of the podcast, which I like doing here, there's a massive amounts of what I think is great traction um, taking place between South Korea and Japan. The South Korean government got elected in a new, they elected in a new government and the, it's like a conservative government, you know, which these days, I don't even know if that means conservative anymore. It's like, yeah, we, we're a conservative government, more LGBTQ, but maybe we don't give them um, birth certificates, like some stupid thing like that. So they're saying they're conservatives that want more LGBTQ stuff, but they just might not want to give them paperwork or something like that. So that's not, 20 years ago, I mean, even even most Democrats in the Democratic American Party would be like, well, even like like Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, and all of them were like, yeah, we don't believe in gay marriage. We don't. But now, now conservatives 20 years later are like, we believe in it all. We just don't want to issue them paperwork. Mm, okay, I still disagree with that. I, you know, I'm free rights for everybody. Um, I, I'll stay away from you though. <laughs> I'm not really interested in the, the miasma of genders and, and all of that. Uh, as a 42 year old male with a family, I'm a little busy to be wondering about what type of pronouns you're interested in. It's a, it's a first world problem and those are the best problems and I salute you for them. But this comes to us a couple of days ago, uh, Japan, South Korea, renew ties at Tokyo summit. And this is from Mari Yamaguchi, 
Japan and South Korea agreed to resume regular visits between their leaders and take steps to resolve a trade dispute during a highly anticipated summit Thursday in what Japan's prime minister called a big step to rebuilding the two nations' security and economic ties as they try to overcome a century of difficult history. Um, Basically what happens with with a lot of the South Korean uh, politics towards Japan is that they, they use Japan is like this uh, straw man or, or like a, a, some like target of, of, of nationalistic hate. And they have good reason to. Japan um, annexed the Korean Peninsula late 1800s until the end of World War II. And then because Japan lost the war, it lost all of its properties that it had gained, including the peoples of Korea. And then there's all these... Korean people in Japan and then Japanese people in Korea and then the Korea split. Just a mess. And I'm not going to say one side is right and the other side is wrong here. Uh, I'm just glad that they're trying to figure their shit out, to be honest, because, um, you know, Japan nationalists will also get the, there's like these disputed islands between um, Japan and Korea, the Takeshima, I think it's called, on the Japanese side. And I can't remember the Korean name. I used to know it off the top of the dome, but I don't anymore. And so they would kind of use these historical spats and the, the whole comfort woman thing and then the laborers thing. And then I know I've, re- I've interviewed some people who say, well, Japan went into Korea and modernized it. And uh, it, before that, it was kind of like this fiefdom and it was super poor. There's all these arguments that go back and forth. But I just like with the rise of China uh, and just it's being it's 2023 now. We don't need our grandparents and their grandparents' um, issues getting in the way of our future and our prosperity anymore. There's a gentrocracy uh, all over the world, just 80-year-old people with access to grind about issues that don't exist anymore for people like me in my 40s, for people in their 20s, and then the upcoming generation who aren't even in their teens yet. They don't. It's not fair to them to impose these gripes on them in terms of domestic and international policy. I think it's good as to have a historical record, museums, teach about it. Um, And if it starts coming back again, you could bring up those records to kind of say, we better stop. Um, But I just really hope that that Japan and South Korea can get their act together and and be really good economic partners. I hope culturally they stay far apart. I don't really care much about Korea, to be honest, but I know that they're really good with the chip manufacturing. They have strong electronics. They have demand all over the world. Uh, Japan also has very competitive um, technologies that aren't really used in the same way that Korean technologies are used internationally. Uh, Japan's more like automotive and then patents and things like components and stuff like that. Korea has a really good sales division. They have really good pop culture and stuff like that. The two could really synergistically, and I use that word on purpose here. I know it's kind of a crap word, but they could really combine themselves. And and if they don't, if they just stop getting too Asian on each other, they could do something great, right? And we all know this about uh, Asian societies. They don't mingle too well with each other, even though they're right next to each other. They mingle really well on trade. They mingle really well on, um, uh, you know, business and all that. All, all these supply chains in Southeast Asia, East Asia, they work pretty well. That's pretty pretty amazing. It's all maritime and stuff, so... 
there's that. But we all know it's just like Cambodia is right next to um, Myanmar and Thailand and Vietnam and Laos and all those places. They don't speak each other's languages and they don't like marrying each other so much. Um, quite different from where I am in Canada, which is what everybody does, even if you're conservative. <laughs> so congratulations. I hope I hope they get them. They always say like, um, you know, North Korea is this. And I think it's all about um, realizing that China is a, it, not a, um, is a threat. It's kind of a threat. China is growing and it's, it's getting better and better at doing what it does. And in relation to 20 or 30 or 40 years ago, China then and China now, um, it's obvious like China is like doing all these deals with Russia and Chinese Yuan. It's acting as a, as a security pact organizer between Saudi Arabia and Iran and all these things. So it's not just becoming a manufacturing hub. It's becoming a, a global center for people that want to get stuff done. And a lot of people are actually, I believe, tired of um, Europe. They're tired of the European elites who just kind of go, by 2050, we have to have carbon zero and we need initiatives now to make it happen. So we need to make South uh, Saudi Arabia a pariah state and we need to tell them they're bad. And if they don't invest, we're going to say, you suck. And then South Saudi Arabia goes, who the hell are you? I'm going to knock on China's door. I'm going to knock on India's door. We have all this stuff. We're going to ramp it up and push it out as fast as we can. And then three years later in America, the system completely changes and some new banking person's in charge of the bank, World Bank stuff. And they're like, nah, new policy. Suck it up, world. You kind of got to go for it. So America's been positioning itself as like, hey, we're, we're freedom land. We're freedom zone people. But increasingly... It's so volatile there, and um, their their global policies kind of don't make a lot of sense. I was covering this. This just one thing that I hope that that the Korean and Japanese people can avoid is having too much of the the so called inter intelligence community begin to interfere in their affairs. It might be a little bit difficult um, because uh, it's already happening, but. A lot of like, there was a lot of spy and CIA stuff going on between Japan and Korea in the 60s, um, especially anti-communism type of stuff. Uh, CIA was really big into that back then. And what they're hoping, is, what I'm hoping is that it, it doesn't, but it appears that they already are. And it says, uh, this is from Japan Times. This is just a quick headline to wrap this part up. South Korea begins process to normalize GSOMIA Intel Pact with Japan. And I, don't, I didn't know what GSOMIA was, and I wondered why the Japan Times put this in the headline. Um, but it means the General Security of Military Information Agreement <laughs> deal. So we'll see where it goes because it seems like maybe they're already beginning the process of mixing up their intelligence capabilities. But as we know, 2023, we're looking into cyber more than anything else, and intelligence is a big part of that. Japan is not very good with its own cyber defenses, and in fact, some leading Japanese firms... Um, are hiring gray hats from South Korea to to 
uh, do hacking routines and hacking practice on their own systems to improve them for the international standards because Japan is woefully ill-equipped to deal with um, internationalism within its own borders. It sounds a little bit strange to say, but a lot of the games that, for example, uh, Nintendo and all these other companies export are very different from the games that they um, create for the domestic market. So there's this giant split in Japan where once we get into like the you know Internet of Things and GPS and low Earth orbiting satellites all communicating with each other through different uh, nation states and stuff like that, Japan doesn't really know how foreign criminal operatives work so well and how to deter them. So um, there's that. There's that. And maybe Korea can help with that because they're, they're more positioned in like an international cultural sense in Korea, South Korea, whereas Japan is it's highly insular. And I've been here for a long time, and I can attest to that, um, especially with this next article. This next article is all about war. I may as well skip right into that right now. And I could be, um, so is this or is it war or is it defense? Is it? War. Um, this this goes right into what I was going to say. Recently, the Defense and Security Equipment International uh, was held at the Makuhari Mese in Chiba Prefecture. Um, and this is a defense and security trade exhibition which serves as a forum between governments, national armed forces, industry, and academics. Makahari Mese is like where like the International Motor Show will happen and I've been there once and I, I used to watch a lot of their, um, all the YouTubers that used to go to these things and kind of catalog and interview people and all that. And up until recently, you know, the pandemic and everything, it was quite interesting. You could find out a lot about whatever that event was. But my God, was this one bad. And this goes to my idea that um, right now there's no yaruki in Japan. There's not a, a culture of yaruki. Yaruki is like that get up and go, uh, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps or whatever that American saying is. Or um, uh, get back up off the horse and you know get behind the mule and plow, all, all that type of stuff. There's no feeling of that right now in Japan on a whole. Uh, there's a lot of depressed uh, elderly people wondering what the hell they're going to do once their population bomb comes to light. And there's nobody left to um, ensure that what everything they've done in life, uh, such as not having kids, how will that perpetuate their own culture? So they're just kind of waiting on this ticking time bomb and hoping that uh, they die before it goes off. That's kind of the feeling of what's going on in Japan right now. And the Defense Security Equipment International is an example of that. I tried looking for all these things and I could, there was like Raytheon was there and, and all, all, all the big names. And there's some Jap Mitsubishi and Kawasaki and all these, all these companies, although we're more familiar with them like in terms of um, smelting or motorcycles or stuff like that. They got a lot of their expertise in the world wars and they, they, they did a pretty formidable job then and they're trying to come back and do it again now. But at, at these Japanese kiosks or whatever they're called at this exhibition, all I could find were just like, like badly dressed men with 
kind of poorly combed hair holding up models of missiles or, you know, defense systems. And they're just kind of saying, this is prototype. Like they sounded like Russians. Like, this is a prototype. We don't know future example yet, but we want to invest and make international point for our customers. There's no, I didn't see any like big screens or no sexiness. There was no like, yo, if you want to go to war, you want to go to war with us. There was no, there was no Yaruki. There was no Yaruki there. Um, It was like the B team and the C team and the D team were all kind of forced out of the office for the afternoon before they come back and stay extra late at work pretending to do document checking for things that nobody will ever need um, instead of instead of trying to kick some ass. There's not a real ass-kicking culture in Japan right now. There's a lot of just people hoping for the paycheck to roll in and the pension to kick in sometime down the road. But one thing that I did find that was really interesting this is from Raytheon, and I'm going to be posting it up on the website, MatthewPMBigelow.com, is the high-energy laser. Now, the um, American military-industrial complex has been working on um, laser weapons for quite some time, uh, but they haven't really been able to deploy them as a finished product. It's been prototypes, it's been like um, testing, but this is... The high-energy laser, it looks like one of those um, transport vehicles being used in Ukraine, except it has a giant laser on the back of it. And it's a weapon. It's like a real weaponized laser. Um, The advantage to having these things these days is with all of the cheap um, wireless devices flying around, drones and all that, a lot of them have plastic components. So, you know, if you're shooting a laser at a tank, you have to be able to melt right through that tank with a laser, kind of hard. But if it's a if it's stuff in the air traveling at low velocities, like with these single prop drones or whatever, you can easily just not easily, but it's become much more feasible to point in a, a, a beam at it and melt a piece off of the drone and down it goes. It's it's a way to neutralize drones with great efficiency. And of course, this is done at the uh, that defense exhibition, so it's all done in like a sexy advertisement. It's one of the few sexy things that I could find there, which is why I'm bringing it here. They have like a, a Raytheon Technologies kind of, hey, this is the, the 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 sexy capability sheet of what it can do, and I'll just quickly read it here. It's the first combat-ready laser weapon system in laser weapon factory, 25,000 operational hours, Four programs in production, eight systems delivered as of, as of Q1 2023, 100-plus users trained. And it shows a, 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 a video game console um, controller. <laughs> you operate it like a, a PlayStation. 20-plus targets types engaged and killed. 400-plus target kills. A six-in-one beam director laser weapon, weapon EOIR surveillance, thermal management, rechargeable power, optional radar. Proven and ready. Um, easy to operate, no matter the mission. The right power and configuration for the, wim- uh, for the women, for the mission. 
Concept of operations. Remote hosting operations up to 15 kilometers of ruggedized laptop for target detection, engagement, surveillance, and system monitoring. Programmable no-shoot zones are user-configurable to ensure safe operations, minimizing collateral damage. Receives slew to queue from radar, surveillance sensors, or battle management network. Automated target tracking. Operator selects aim point on target to maximize effectiveness. Target illuminator enables high-fidelity optical track day or night in challenging real-world conditions. Operator fires H-E-L, hell, to defeat targets in seconds. I think one of the good things about this is that you might be able to have a remote operator. If you have like a 5G or a 6G connector, you could have a person driving the car and the, wep- and the weapons are so sensitive to, um, you know, the, the operators are, they don't want humans touching it or getting messing with it because they could steal the technology. So it's compartmentalized in one part of the truck. Somebody else is driving the truck and then it operates remotely and you can figure out targets or it op- has an automated system where you're going into a battle- battlefield with predetermined targets to be shot at and uh, the driver just kind of goes through the area and the laser takes care of business and uh, that's how you do Raytheon these days with lasers. I've been waiting for lasers for my whole life. They're here. They're not exactly like a laser pistol in my pocket but it's uh, something that would drive cats crazy and destroy the enemy for sure. This is the high energy laser from Raytheon. Raytheon Raytheon.com Have you considered donating to the Japan What podcast? Why not? We can accept your PayPal donations at paypal.me forward slash japanwut. We are also firmly integrated into the podcasting 2.0 infrastructure, meaning if you want to use the Lightning Network to send us satoshis and Bitcoin, you can. Just download a podcasting 2.0 compatible app, search Japan What?, Find us there, click donate, and send us some stats. You can even stream 10 sats a minute as you listen automatically. Uh, It's a way to keep the podcast alive, keep the lights on around here, and also engage in uncensorable technology that helps creators avoid using and being reliant on big tech platforms like YouTube and uh, keep the information flowing to those who want it. So you can go to MatthewPMBigelow.com and learn more there. MatthewPMBigelow.com, Japan What Podcast. PayPal.me forward slash Japan WUT and so on and so on and so on. Now let's get into, we'll go from one drone to another drone. And this come, this will be the society, Japan Society 5.0. This clip is from the government. The fourth industrial revolution will enable us to create a new society. Artificial intelligence will transform the big data collected through the Internet of Things into new wisdom. Society 5.0, a technology-based, human-centered society. Industrial revolution will raise our standard of living and solve various challenges we face. It will, for example, free us from the stress of driving, allowing us to safely visit anyone, anytime. We will have. Shut up, you commie whore! 
this is this comes to us from uh, it's a Japanese uh, Nikkei English website. Edible drones opens up new ways to save lives. Edible drones, food-based robots eyed as help in rescue and beyond. Tokyo. Imagine some hikers are stranded deep in the mountains without food, and the closest help is hours or even days away. How do you keep them alive until the rescue? Edible drones, according to one Japanese researcher. June. Excuse me. Jun Shitake. Oh, Jun Shintake, an engineering associate professor at Japan's University of Electrocommunications, is working with researchers from the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology in Lausanne and elsewhere to develop edible robots for a wide variety of scenarios. So you're thinking, wait a minute, you just said Japan has no Yaruki, but then this guy in this newspaper is all talking about this Yaruki you're talking about. Um Working with researchers from the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology in Lausanne? Hmm. Oh, really? <laughs> he had to leave the country to do this stuff. Their new prototype, a drone with wings made of rice crackers, could be used to quickly deliver emergency rations to those in distress to boost their chance of survival. Our ultimate goal is to create food that's like a robot. Shintake said. Measuring about centimeters across, the drone's wings are built from crackers stuck together with gelatin and contain around 300 calories. The aircraft can also carry around 80 grams of water. Roughly half of the drone is edible by weight. The team hopes to eventually raise this to 75% or more, more than doubling the total amount of food it can deliver compared with a conventional drone. The drone reached a speed of about 10 meters per second in an outdoor test flight, and the wings did not crack. The team hopes to further improve durability and flight time toward the goal of commercializing the technology. Quote, we want to eventually make the whole thing out of food, Shintake said. The gelatin-based robotic arm mimics how a finger would bend. It's like a gelatin. Uh, edible robots could be useful in factories as well. From gelatin and glycerin, Shintake's team has created a pneumatic robotic arm to bend like human fingers. Wow. That, that ambulance is loud. They're after me, guys. Uh, so that's the one Japan Society 5.0. Uh, drones for rescue operations just makes sense to me. Uh, you could have a balloon with sensors that flies over the area and then people have to have their phones with them. It can identify their phones and then it, the drones could fly up to them and drop some crackers in their laps before the tsunami drowns them and takes them all the way to the netherworld. Um, another one that I wanted to focus on for Japan Society 5.0 is the eVTOL. The... Um, electric vertical takeoff and landing platforms that are that could really make a lot of sense. Um, there's a helicopters are one thing, but these EV tolls for short trips like between businesses, like if you have a team if you're in the if you're in if you're in downtown Tokyo and you have to go across town for a meeting, you have to go down to the bottom of the building. If it's a busy building, it can take 10-15 minutes getting into the train systems, another 10, 15 minutes, going across town, another 35 minutes. And by the time you get to where you're going, you're all sweaty and everything like that. But if you could just get into these um, drone helicopters from the top of one building, fly to the top of the other building without the need of a helicopter uh, for these short-term trips, it could make a lot of sense. So this is Japan's first piloted flying taxi test held ahead of 2025 World Expo. And one other thing is that uh, Japan seems to be really pushing the eVTOL solution uh, for this case. Um, 
all of these technologies are very strictly regulated in Japan, and it's super hard to even use a drone in most areas of Japan. So uh, the fact that this is going ahead, it just kind of gives investors, startups, you know, these futurists, singularitarians, like a, an avenue to pursue where they're not going to find something amazing only to have the bureaucracy smash their dreams. Osaka, an air taxi service set to feature at the 2025 World Exposition in Osaka, was tested in Osaka Castle Park on Tuesday. I, you know what? I'm going to stop it right there. How many times do you need to say Osaka in the first first sentence? Osaka. This is the, you know, where it comes from, the byline, whatever it's called. An air taxi service set to feature at the 2025 World Exposition in Osaka was tested in Osaka Castle Park on Tuesday. And what the prefectural government says is the first time in the country one of the craft has been piloted from the cockpit. Japan plans for the flying cars to be among the expo's main attractions, with the vehicles expected to provide access to the event venue planned to be set up on an artificial island in Osaka Bay. Yeah, I was thinking uh, transportation between, when I was at SoftBank, they would have to go to like Odaiba uh, sometimes because they had a remote office there. And it, it takes a long time. And it, the, sometimes the trains are super busy and it's across the bay. But if you could have one of these drones on the top of the building, and you just zzz, 10, 15 minutes across a nice quiet bay, land there, and then you get your office ready. By the time you like go back and forth a few times a week between all these people, it adds up to a lot of man hours, and these people are, might be like advanced robotics technicians or radio frequency experts. Their time is being wasted inside of trains instead of figuring out what to do with all the free radio frequencies. The test centered on services to be provided by trading firm Marubeni Corp., one of the five companies selected to operate the flying taxis. It uses a U.S.-made single Cedar craft different to the vehicles expected to be deployed for the 184 day event in 2025. Um, there we go. I'm going I'm to stop it right there. I will say oh, the craft was flown by Masatoshi Kumagai, a licensed pilot and the founder and CEO of GMO Internet Group Inc., which provides cybersecurity services for operation of flying cars and aerial drones. So we're seeing some of it come together, but again, it's it's a lot. I'm 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 just saying it's Japan Society 5.0, uh, a step in that direction. I would like to see more of these services come to life, um, but we'll see. They're they're testing and testing and testing and testing and testing for this event where people will see the testing and testing and testing and testing. And then I think these companies in Japan want to have a, a a solution that can be exported across the world, like. Like similar to like a, a Mitsubishi elevator or a, a Toyota car or something like that, where uh, it, it, it will rival out the other options available, and then China will come in, steal all the technology, and offer it for the same price. Sorry, no, the same services at a reduced price, and then Japan will lose, but they will still be able to fly their nice little helicopters around in front of their nice little castles. Let's move on to the economy. This whole um, banking collapse that's going on is a beginning to hit Japan. Um, we, you, we don't have to be too interested in, in banking collapses and things like that, but it could be an opportunity for investment. I'm not an investment advisor. I'm not saying you should do this, but I'm saying people have done this in the past. Did, 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 get the thing out of the way. Uh, SVB collapse hits Japanese banks harder than Chinese ones. Um 
I've found this very funny. <laughs> Somebody who's been working in the tech industry recently, uh, maybe they don't have like the best resume anymore. This is uh this is somebody who could be you know one of your friends that went off to become a big a big dick swinger in in the banking world in the startup world, but then they come back with this resume that just looks like a nightmare to to have. Uh, so let's take a look. This is somebody who I think copied and pasted or did a screenshot of uh, somebody's work history on uh, LinkedIn. So from March 2012 to March 2017, this person was a research assistant at Theranos. You know, that company that had the, the blood test or the pill thing with the woman that looked like Steve Jobs that was a total fake. It was, it was, it was a fake company. Billions of dollars down the tube. And then from 2017 to 2019, they were sales business development at WeWork, you know, that company that SoftBank bought for $32 billion or whatever it was, or I don't, I can't remember how much it was. They bought it for X amount of billion dollars, evaluated it at as super X a billion dollars, and then the entire thing collapsed and now it's not worth much at all. Took a year off because look at my previous employers. So they were fun employed from 2019 to 2020. That's how you know they are liberal. It's people who use the word fun employed. And then from 2020 to 2022, they were an account manager at FTX. You know, that crypto exchange with Sam, Sam Bankman Freed, whatever his name is, Bankman Fried, Bankman Freed, who um, raised billions and billions of dollars with weirdo crypto people. Funneled it to Ukraine, funneled a bunch of anti-COVID science studies and gave a lot of it back to the Democratic Party on, on the up and up and then secretly into the Republicans. <coughs> and then from September 22 to March 2023, they were an account manager at Silicon Valley Bank. <laughs> Which brings us to this news report. Imagine having that resume and just looking at your life going, how, how, how did this, why me? I'm looking, I'm looking not good. And then you kind of wonder like after work, you're walking to the train station or you're getting in your car and you're putting on the seat building. You're like, am I the curse? Am I, did I do something to God? Did God make me some sort of, you know, flame in the machine. Uh, everybody says it's Trump, but maybe it's just it's just what wherever I go, things collapse and burn, and I'm told to go, and I go to the next place, and it happens again and again and again. Start the car. Well, time for a burrito. But the SVB collapse hits Japan's banks harder than Chinese ones. And this comes to us, we're recording this on March 20th, 2023, and this was published on March 20th, 2023, and we're getting this from the Nikkei. SVB collapse hits Japanese banks harder than Chinese ones. With the, 2020, with the 2008 banking crisis, with the Lehman shock, it really hit Japan hard. Um, I had just been in Japan for a couple of years at that point. I got really busy with work because a lot of people had a lot of free time and they needed to study some English. But all my friends in Canada, where I'm from, even like some banking people that I ended up talking to were like, yeah, it's not hitting us so hard to do, 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 do. We're pretty different from American banks. We have a lot of different rules. Do, 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 do. And then um, with this new banking collapse coming up, 
I saw right away, it's like, oh, so Silicon Valley Bank and it's going to be the worst thing ever and everything's unraveling. I'm like, whoa, are you guys trying to push a bank run here? So I don't want to take a panicked approach, but I'm just saying the world is burning and we're fucked. <laughs> no. Um, Hong Kong, recent turbulence in global markets has been hitting banks in Japan harder than those in China as investors punish lenders that have focused more on buying bonds than on making loans. Japan's three leading lenders lost more than $20 billion in market value last week, while China's big four state-owned banks gained more than $30 billion in Hong Kong and Shanghai trading. The contrasting fortunes on, of financial groups in Asia's two biggest economies stem from the nature of banking crises spanked, uh, sparked by the collapse of uh, March 10th of Silicon Valley Bank in the U.S. SVB's failure has raised fears about a formerly obscure corner of bank balance sheets known as held-to-maturity investments. These are generally safer securities, such as government bonds, that are intended to earn interest until the principal is returned. As a result... Changes in market prices are usually not reflected in banks' results. However, interest rate uh, increases uh, do make these holdings less valuable, even if banks are not required to report the resulting fluctuations each time. Such declines played a big role in the demise of SVB, a bank that specialized in gathering large deposits from a small number of startups and put a lot of that money into HTM investments. Um <clears throat> How much do we want to go? Overall, Nikkei Asia calculations show that 40 leading Asian banks in 11 markets lost over $12 billion in market value last week. Um, Japan's leading lenders, Mitsubishi UFJ Financial Group, Sumitomo Mitsubishi Financial Group, and Mizuho Financial Group fell between 10% and 12%, erasing $2.67 trillion yen in market value. Japanese banks found themselves in harm's way because they are particularly sensitive to rising rates. They have accumulated large holdings of bonds, some dominated in foreign currencies, as decades of near-zero growth have reduced opportunities to lend. Such difficulties are particularly pronounced for smaller lenders. The central bank's response to almost no growth has been to provide abundant liquidity. This sounds to me like an insane amount of gobbledygook. Um, and it sounds to me like a bunch of people trying to make sense of stupid magic, doesn't it? Um, I'm sure that these people know what they're doing, but do they? It sounds, so one thing that I'm concerned about is um, <clears throat> we're already a very fragile position because of the COVID situation. Uh, China actually seems to be doing pretty well. A lot of people are saying, oh, their demographics are going to hit them hard, but they're working to automate really hard. Like they have automated ports in China. Uh, all the cars are automated. All the, all, the, all, the, all the loading docks are automated. So, okay, you have fewer people even needed to be there. You need some people, but you don't need a billion young people throwing boxes into a container when it's being done robotically. Um, and people will say, well, yeah, well, sometimes those robots will catch fire, you know? It's like, yeah, sometimes a, a group of thieves will steal an entire container. And it's not about perfection. It's about reducing risk and increasing profits in terms of percentages that compete against each other. Once one one of those factors um, overcomes another factor, goodbye the shitty factor as fast as it can go away. That's how it works. So we, what am I trying to say here? I don't want a, a, another 2008. 
because it would make me too busy. That's what I'm trying to say. And I've heard like some people say, well, Silicon Valley Bank needs a bailout. But people say like people are so angry at tech. But if it was called the Farmers Bank, people would say these farmers need a bailout. It's like, what, what do you mean? It's not the Farmers Bank, though. It's the Silicon Valley Bank. Like, well, they're just depositors and lenders of small companies and stuff like that. No, I think they're pretty involved in the startup community, and and um, they're not farmers. <laughs> it's like if, if your app goes away, you're not going to die. But if all of the farmers go away, we're all going to die. So this this comparison, it's, it's kind of like saying like, um, man, those Hitler trials sure did put Hitler in a bad light. If those uh, trials were about puppy dogs, would have been a lot more positive, huh? It's like, well, okay, it's a strange thing to say, but I guess guess you're right. Um, all right, so that is, is it is, is it collapsing or are we all doomed or, or, or are we not? Um, a lot of people are saying that this could be the beginning of the end. Is it? Oh, is it? We have bugs to talk about. I'm going to eat all the bugs. Okay, you're just going to eat them one at a time, though, okay? Okay. I got one. I got one. I'm going to go catch that one. No, finish the one that you have in your mouth first. All right. When I started looking into this whole bug thing, I didn't know it would be so prominent. And every week I'm seeing more and more bug stuff and this comes to us from the the tweets the twitters um because that's the way we need to look at it it's not being reported on the mainstream media right now so we have to go into twitter and do our best to find it all right here it is and uh this is coming to us from tweet style reporting so it's going to read a little bit differently and there's going to be some machine translation in here a gathering of anti-cricket demonstrations by conservative groups in Japan says, plant soybeans instead of crickets. It's strange that milk is wasted. Uh, of course, this comes to us, the milk is wasted means there is some dumping um, encouraged to reduce the cost of milk. And this comes to us from Cafe Lover, at Cafe Lover on, tweet, on Twitter. A gathering of anti-crickets uh, demonstrators in some of the things that they're trying to say here is the participants are almost like members of a group. I don't support them, but I feel sorry for them. There were many people in the distance, so I was excited and approached, and it was almost public safety. <laughs> this is a, a, a audio sample of the QAnon. It's it's QAnon. It's a branch of the QAnon movement that decided to uh, go on their own way from the original QAnon movement, and it's like Q to protect the children. And I'm not sure if this is them exactly, but this is them uh, sending up an audio quality. There were about 10 participants, and the reaction of the roadside was either ignored or wryly smiled. Uh, where did the people who were doing the Pasco boycott go, it's called? And they're holding signs that say don't don't eat the don't don't eat don't eat the cricket powder. Don't eat the cricket powder at all. 
And so regarding questions about using crickets, Takeo, a company specializing in insect food, carefully creates a Q&A, well, so this person recommends it, but I really don't. Um, and this comes to us from Gakushi Fujiwara. Let's translate the tweet. The first demonstration in Asakusa by the Q Association to Protect Children, which split from Kashi, uh, Kami Shinto Q, 18 regular members. The leader's opening speech was anti-crickets. The current situation of trying to feed children is strange. Let's say it is strange. There were four Trump flags, and the speech that followed was anti-mask, anti-vaccine, and <laughs> full of messy boiled feeling. <laughs> And they're holding Trump 2024. The rules have changed. <laughs> I don't know. I don't join groups like uh, Q. Uh, anonymous groups I, I scare the crap out of me because they can be sock puppeted. They could be taken over. And then one week it's one thing. The next week it's another thing because you never really know where it's from. But it's strange that uh, the, the QAnon people are, are wise to... The, the the cricket powder stuff. And I, I, if I had better sources, I would have put that in the, earlier in the podcast. But it's just, there you go. It doesn't matter if it's like some school in Nagano, some little protest by the Q people, um, some startup in, in Shimane or something like that. That's just like, in the peripheral vision of life, once you start kind of looking at it, because you don't really notice your peripheral vision, it's like, there's bugs over here. People are eating them. Hey, there's bugs over here. People are eating them. And you kind of go around your busy life and you're like, okay, there's no bugs. I don't really see any bugs. But then it's like, hey, there's bugs over here. They're eating them. Hey, there's bugs over here. They're eating them. Like, oh, that's a new one. That's a new one for me too. All right. I think we're going to pretty much leave it there. Do we have anything else that we need to get to today? Um it's hard to cover banking collapses, isn't it? Except if you like you freak out and go, "Oh my God, it's all over. We don't know what we're gonna see next." But it's, it is a little strange to see these banking collapses happen. Like the U.S. government has a hundred billion dollars for Ukraine, and um, uh, it doesn't look good, to be honest. I think we can all agree. Maybe the fact that there's no Yaruki at these Defense Department things. Uh, is the fact that a lot of people don't even know where the economy is going to be, um, how these systems are going to be used. Um, do we know how to attack Chinese missile bases? Does Japan honestly even want to preemptively shoot missiles at Japanese or at Chinese silo sites to prevent a war in Taiwan? A lot of people are kind of going, that doesn't, I'm not sure if that's a good idea. We don't want to go this route. We don't want to go this route. But we're going this route. The die has been cast, and we're in this avalanche together. Uh, we're going to get mixed up, and we're going to get tossed around. Uh, I'm feeling that like hyper-localization is the way to go from here on in. You can do whatever you want. I just kind of feel like, hmm, expansion right now is uh, it's better to batten down the hatches and, and prepare for what's coming while still trying to enjoy life and do your best and yada, yada, positive thing to say at the end of the podcast. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. You can go catch us at MatthewPMBigelow.com for all the podcasting needs. Mm, download a podcasting 2.0 compliant app. See where that takes you. Hmm? And that's going to be it for me today. Thank you for listening. 
listening, you found it. The Japan War Podcast, coming at you from the back end of Tokyo, the armpit of Asia. MasterPMBelow.com.